great resources that they have put together as far as visually explaining and expounding on uh, some of the, the, the parts of Scripture that we will come across, the types of writing and, and some of the stories and more of the, the deeper theological thinking uh, in, as, we, uh, as we explore Scripture this year. And so uh, I want to point you to that, and you can locate those links through our Summers app, uh, or you can just go to this website, the Bible Project dot com uh, and the hashtag study and you can find all of that there but in any case uh, i hope we can join together this year and in intentionally reading scripture together some system of of work working our way through scripture now i'm going to preach each sunday as i mentioned through some part pull out something from that week's uh, assignment it's not going to be exact and in fact, I'm lagging behind right now because there's some things I wanted to kind of highlight. And then we've had a, a, a seminar last weekend. And so I'll catch up to the schedule about the 1st of March. So uh, don't worry about that. But uh, I'd encourage you to, as a family, to do this. The kids, I'm telling you, the kids will love these videos, the resources that are on the website too. So if you look at those as a family, uh, I think it will enrich your study time together. Uh, so... We are origin people. I think we could say it. We are origin people. I mean, we, we, we have this, I think, this innate curiosity about our ancestry. We want to know where we came from, right? And so, you know, we, we, we ask questions and we get on websites and try to figure out, what was Grandpa like? Maybe we didn't know him. What was great-grandpa like? What kind of woman was great-great-grandma having birthed and raised 16 kids? You know, what, what kind of people were they? What was it like back then and what was it like for them? I love shows and I love movies and, and about history and, and what life was like and what the world looked like during ancient times. I love that stuff. And there's a sense of orientation that develops from knowing and understanding what our past is. So we can realize and, and kind of better understand that's why I talk this way maybe or that's why I like this kind of music or that's why my personality has this particular quirk or, or that's why I think this way because that's the way my family was or my ancestors were. And so we're all connected to our past and, and we're just a mere link in a chain extending into the future, however long that chain may turn out to be. Origin is important. And so Genesis is a book of origins. And on a grand scale, it's, it's the origin of humanity and the origin of society and the origin of creativity and of purpose. It's an origin book. It's the origin of language and, and continents and cultures. And so the name Genesis means origin or beginnings. And so instead of the, the title of a book, this is, this is actually a description of these collections of writings, the origins of some things that were going on. And so many questions can be raised as, as one embarks on a journey through Genesis, but, but it's that very questioning that can drive us closer to the God of origins. So He's the God of beginnings, who is the beginning of all things, Himself being without beginning, which initiates a question to which there is no answer, right? Because there's no beginning to the one who himself is the beginning of all things. It's like mind-boggling, huh? But I don't want you to be boggled. <laughs> I want you to be amazed. I want you to be in awe and be humble. I want you to be curious. And I want us to be content in our humanity. 
And so that's a hard origin to accept today. It was hard for Adam and Eve to accept that, even in the beginning. So I wonder, I was thinking this weekend, so Tressa and Callie and and some of our our young ladies are, are on a girls' retreat this weekend, and so hanging out at the house, and I was thinking about this. I wonder how long Adam had been in the garden that God created for him before God created woman. I wonder what that time span was. Right? We don't know. I mean, it's, it's the next verse, right? Not really. We don't know. But I wondered about that. How long, how long had they been walking and talking with God as He came in the garden in the cool of the day? How long had they been carrying that relationship on? How many times had they passed that forbidden tree without giving it much thought? Or was there ever any thought? How long was it before Genesis chapter 3? You ever think that? Questioning is part of God's design for humanity because it's through questioning, it's through seeking, it's through exploring that we learn and that we create and we travel and we fill the earth with the image of God. So questioning is not bad. God designed us with curiosity, but He also designed us to seek Him for direction. And to know Him, Him as, as the origin of our faith when our answers cannot be determined. And so in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, we read that the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. And so in Scripture, nakedness conveys different things. And in this context, in this origin of, of this imagery, it signifies an innocence. There's an, an integrity that is expressed here, depending on how those terms are are, are used or how how they're defined. And so while humanity trusted fully in God, there was no fear of exploitation. There was no fear, there was no sense of vulnerability in this relationship with God. But nakedness is going to turn to a negative connotation as humanity turns away from God on this and our moral compass becomes misdirected and we turn away from God as our true North, our true origin. And so in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, we read, Now the serpent was shrewder than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said you must not eat from it and you must not touch it or else you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so we know that God created mankind in His image. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. He gave us a role, and He gave us purpose in in God's beautifully perfect world, to bear His image, to carry His image. We are to represent God throughout our lives. It's, it's, it's known as the Imago Dei, the, the image of God, right? And so we should reflect the glory of God. We, re, we should reflect His glory in our relationships, in our work, and then He would be our God and He would help us cultivate the earth where even more life could flourish. And all of this is wrapped up in in a small word that carries enormous significance all throughout Scripture. It's blessed. God blessed His creation. This is God's blessing. It's His will, His permission 
And more than that, this is God's nature. This is God's nature. It's who He is. And so we were created to be reflections of God's nature. And so you can understand this concept because when you move into a home, what do you want to do? You want to, you want to repaint? You want to change the flooring out? You want to, to, to new decorations? You maybe can't do it all at once, but that's what you're looking to do, right? Why do we do that? We do all of that for what reason? So that the environment will reflect our tastes and our personality and our nature. And you can even recognize when, when something doesn't, right? Because what do we say? Mmm, that just doesn't fit them, <laughs> right? Oh, that's not their style, right? We say stuff like that. So we recognize when it's not, when things are out of sync. And so what we mean is that doesn't go with what we know about their nature. Those clothes don't fit their personality. We say stuff like that too, right? And so God created us to reflect His nature, but He also created us with the ability to choose whether or not we will reflect His nature. Everything God made was according to His divine design and it fulfilled His ultimate purpose. There is nothing that God intended to accomplish in creation that was left out. Nothing was lacking. So God had created the world, everything in it, in a way that resulted in mankind's good and God's glory, exactly as He intended. So God's greatest provision for man was the provision of Himself. That's the greatest thing that God gave us was Himself. And so God is what we need most. And He is our ultimate source of life. Our ultimate source of fulfillment. And so this is why God told man that, that if you disobey My command, it's going to result in death. And we know as we read that the man and the woman, they, they didn't drop dead immediately when they disobeyed God's command. However, what happened? They became cut off from the source of life. Cut off from God Himself. Which resulted in what? It was spiritual death. And so they, that losing the beauty and the bounty of the garden, that was the least of their loss. They lost fellowship with the God who had made them and who had made this creation. So how did this happen? It began with doubt. And so disobedience of God's will is a result of either ignorance or ignoring. And both of those words start with I. <laughs> right? Either I do not know God's will, that's ignorance, or I disregard God's will. That's ignoring. And so listen to how specifically the woman recounts what God had said. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 3. God said, you must not eat from it and you must not touch it or else you will die. Now God had clearly revealed Himself and communicated His requirement to Adam and to Eve. His requirement for obedience. He didn't leave anything out. He very plainly, this is what's necessary for you. You must trust and obey Me. And so then Satan, who is the father of lies, he immediately works in their hearts and he introduces doubts about God's Word. Did God really say... Did God really? And the only right response that they should have had here is to quote God's exact words. And that's what Jesus did later, right? When Satan tempted Him in the desert. But rather than responding in that way, one, one commentator notes that Eve disparaged the privileges, added to the prohibition, and weakened the penalty, all seen by contrasting her words with God's original commands. What did God say? Go back chapter 2 and verse 16. 
Then the Lord God commanded the man, you may eat freely fruit from every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. God intended from the beginning to be our source of of truth, our source of direction, our source of life, to be our origin. And so when facing temptation, our greatest source of wisdom and direction is what? The Word of God. That was God's intention. And so to even begin to doubt God's Word is to descend a slippery slope toward disobedience. And so I'm, I'm not contradicting myself because I earlier said that it's, it, questioning is not in itself wrong. But to doubt God's Word as Eve did is not to question God's statement. She's questioning the very integrity of God. And that leads to misrepresenting God's character. And so instead of, well, well, why is it important for us not to eat this fruit? Adam and Eve instead question God's motives in withholding that particular fruit from them. And instead of holding up this choice against everything else that God had done from them and was doing from them for them up to this point, they held it up to what they wanted for themselves. That became their measuring stick. And that is the source of sin. It's pride. It's pride. I get angry because someone has done something wrong or, or, or wronged me. And so I get angry about that. I feel jealous because someone else has something or is in a situation that I want to be in. I covet something or someone that I don't have because I want it for me. I deserve better. Why? Because I'm better, right? And so Adam and Eve wanted something that they thought they did not have. It's sovereignty. They wanted to be above it all. We want to be in charge. We want to be the ones who call the shots. And so God had given them authority to exercise dominion over His creation. He put us in charge of His creation. And for us to continue His work of creation as as humans cultivate the earth for all of its possibilities. The problem is that humanity wanted to self-govern. And God had already given us that privilege. But with a caveat. God said this far, no further. We always want to go Further, So the serpent called all of that into question. And instead of taking their question to God, they reasoned instead within themselves. And so chapter 3 and verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, it was attractive to the eye and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And so everything about the way that God created the world in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 screams, God is good! God is good! Whenever we allow ourselves to question that goodness or God in His sufficiency as the Creator of the universe, it's one small step towards pursuing self-fulfillment through the creation itself. See, we turn from the Creator and we instead exalt the creation. And so our world is rampant with this self-fulfilling pursuits and, and self-seeking sufficiency. Everyone's out to, to, to do what's best for me. And so instead of exalting God as the image bearers of God's creation, we spend time and money and, and, and we expend relationships and opportunities to exalt ourselves. And we create images of who we want to be 
and what we want to be. Idolatry did not begin when the Israelites fashioned a golden calf in the desert of Sinai. Idolatry began in a garden. It began in Eden. Its origin was from the beginning. And so idolatry has been a human pursuit from the beginning. And so, yeah, Genesis also retells the, the, the origin, the beginning of idol worship. And so up to the, the conversation with the serpent, God had provided and He defined what is good and what is not good. That was, that was God who set that standard. So I wonder, why did God put that tree in the garden? <laughs> I know you've asked that question. Why did He put it there? Why, if He put it there, why did He tell us about it? You know? Why did He tell humans about it? Why didn't God just keep all that to Himself? was because God loves His image bearers so much that He gives us the dignity and freedom of choice. And so are we going to trust God's definition of good and evil? Are we going to seize the autonomy for ourselves? And are we going to define what is good and what is evil? And that's still a choice we have to make every day. And some days it may feel like every moment we have to make that choice. God gifts us Freedom of choice. But with choice comes consequence. And so in verse 14, chapter 3, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the cattle and all the living creatures of the field. On your belly you will crawl, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your labor pains. With pain you will give birth to children. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. But to Adam he said, because you obeyed your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. In painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. And it will produce thorns and thistles for you. But you will eat the grain of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you will return. And so the serpent now is cursed to belly crawl. And this is the first indication of disharmony in God's creation. This is the origin of disharmony now. And so man and woman were so intent on experiencing life on the same level as God, exalting themselves to the level of God. God says, your wish is granted, but it's not going to provide you what you thought it would. And so to the woman who looked to find a, a greater experience in becoming like Creator God, now her ability to create is going to come with even greater experience of pain. Just as God's creation has brought pain to Him. And where at one time God positioned her next to her husband as co-creator, she is now going to experience an ongoing struggle in this conflict between man and woman, which will become a norm in human society. And for the man who was given the blessing of cultivating the earth and enjoying the the goodness of that cultivation because he so easily cooperated with a woman against God's will, God is now, in His will, going to forbid the earth to cooperate with man. 
And so it's going to be through painful toil that the earth will provide. And so this choice sets in motion this downward spiral as their two sons, Cain and Abel, live in conflict, finally resulting in Cain killing his brother, Abel. And so humanity continues on its path. It's self-serving ambition. Filling the earth, not with the image of God to His glory, but with evil and with wickedness and self-serving corruption to the point and perhaps the most hopeless verse in all of Scripture that the Lord regretted that He had made humankind and He was highly offended. I mean, the sense of what it's translated here as offended is, is to be injured or, or, or worried or, or even embarrassed. And it seems embarrassment is probably the best fit here. And so here's how humans can understand God's response. And so in, in certain contexts, emotional pain leads to embarrassment or it leads to anger, right? And so the one who's been embarrassed sometimes directs their anger against the source of that grief. And so say you're walking in public and so you're walking and maybe your child or your spouse or, or a friend or someone causes you uh, to, to, to trip or to stumble, maybe even fall. And there can be some immediate lashing out at the person or the object that caused that unfortunate event. Especially if, you t- if your tumbling generates unwanted attention. Insert laughter, right? From others. And so that, th- this is how we can kind of understand the cause and effect of, of our actions against God. God's not embarrassed, as we understand embarrassment. But we can understand cause and effect. We can understand that related to emotional injury. And so this offense was so great to God that He regretted making humanity. We would say today, we would hear, I hope we wouldn't say this, we would hear this, I wish you were dead. Right? I mean, just that harsh, striking... But, but God is effectively not saying, I wish you were dead. God is effectively saying, I wish you'd never been born. Feel the weight of that. The Creator of the universe is saying, I wish I had never created you. And you watch the, read the news and you think things are bad now? They ain't immediate annihilation bad. <laughs> Not yet at least. But this isn't about everyone else. This is about you. <laughs> this is about me. This is us. We may be so far removed from the days of Adam and Eve and and even Noah, but we are not so far removed from the same sin that results in offending God. Idolatry wasn't washed away in the flood because idolatry is not a practice of carving images of worship out of stone or wood. Idolatry is the practice of exalting anyone or anything above God. And so for centuries, idols had been made to reflect the character of, of certain gods that were created by humanity. And yet from the beginning, from the, the origin, the true God created His own image to reflect His divine character. And that is us. He carved us to reflect His image. And no matter how we mess up God's holy intent for creation, He has not given up on us. And so from the beginning, 
God knew that He was going to have to redeem. He was going to have to buy back His creation who would sell itself over to sin. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, So then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But there was no accounting for sin when there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam, who was the type of the coming one, had transgressed. But the gracious gift is not like the transgression. For if the many died through the transgression of the one man, how much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ multiply to the many? And the gift is not like the one who sinned, for judgment resulting from the one transgression led to condemnation. But the gracious gift from the many failures led to justification. For if by the transgression of the one man death reigned through the one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one? Jesus Christ. And so God created us to reign with Him, to partner with Him, not as equals, but united in His purpose. And that's reflecting His image throughout our lives and throughout creation. And so our choice and our self-promoting actions, none of that deters God and His holy purpose. They only make life harder for us. And they can on a grand scale make eternity darker. And so I wonder this morning, will you submit to God's Word just as His creation and then let Him bring order to the chaos that sin has caused in your life? See, that takes vulnerability. It, being willing to submit to someone else takes vulnerability. But when you place your trust fully in God through Jesus Christ, you will find that He will not exploit you. And He will not take you for granted. And you can rest securely in His love for you today. His boundless love. Unending joy. This is His purpose for us. Are you living in that purpose today? Have you let sin seat itself in your life so that you've lost your view on your point of origin? You forgot that you were created in the image of God? God calls you back to Him, the source of life, to ask forgiveness for that sin. Repent of it. Run away from it. And receive His grace and His mercy and His loving guidance. And that boundless love is through His Son, Jesus Christ, who was with God from the beginning. There was nothing created that has been created that was not created through Jesus Christ. And still, to this day, God is creating life in each person who will accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who will vulnerably submit themselves to Him be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, be washed clean, and be made new with the hope, the promise of eternal life, and the relationship once again close 
intimate, perfect with God our Father. This morning, as we assembled together, if we can encourage you in any way through prayer, if we can share in the joy of your decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we would love to do that together this morning. We're going to stand now and sing a song of encouragement and reminder of God's boundless love. Will you come to His boundless love as we stand and sing? Boundless love, unending joy, this is my life, it's what 